0: Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Botts, the CEO and founder of Good Leadership Enterprises.
1: And I'm Shadi Alomar from U.S. Bank Wealth Management. Welcome to the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast.
0: We are recording this in the Aspiration Suite of our offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where we coach leaders and their teams how to grow their businesses with goodness. In short, our team coaches your team through the transition to the next level of performance. Hey, Chadi, you and I have been friends for a long time. Can you tell our listeners you know, how we got to know each other? Oh, gosh. It's been, what, 20 years probably now? And it
1: started actually doing good at our Rotary Club, yep. if you remember. Mm-hmm. And then we became personal friends. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, uh, joining U.S. Bank was partly because of you. So we've been friends for a long time.
0: Yes. a matter of fact, I wrote about you in my first book about the seven Fs, said earlier, the the Faith, Family, Finances, Fitness, Friends, Fun, and Future book is called What Really Works. And yeah. so uh, that, was a, that was a lot of fun. It's been fun to watch your your career blossom. And at the time, actually, I was wondering why you
1: added me to the faith section, Mm -hmm. right? I wanted to be part of a business section Uh or something like that. But now looking back, that was the right spot. So thank you for that. Good. Today, we are featuring the appearance of Richard Davis, my former boss at US Bank, at the Good Leadership Breakfast that happened just this morning. It's a monthly leadership development event that Paul started in 2009, Mm -hmm. right? And today was the end of your 10th year of programming. Congratulations, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, it was a fantastic experience. What we started 10 years ago as a sort of a one-time meeting turned into something really special. And as of today, we have surpassed 20,000 guests at this event. And we've contributed more than $320,000 to charity through our fundraising concept called the Bucket of Goodwill. And Richard Davis was the perfect speaker because I'd known him for about 15 years. I knew the kind of impact that he has on people. And I called him more than two years ago. (laughs) not even knowing if we would do this breakfast past 10 years. And I said, this date, November 15, 2019, will be the 80th Good Leadership Breakfast. Would you please speak? And he said, yes. Yeah. I mean, Richard
1: is just a positive guy. He fills the room with energy. I remember 10 years ago when I joined the bank, right? Everybody's wearing their lapel pin and everybody's mentioning Richard's name at meetings It felt like joining a a cult or something. Mm -hmm. Like I was wondering, what did I get myself Uh into? But very quickly I realized this was an environment where people genuinely loved the corporation and they loved Richard specifically. Mm -hmm. He was inspirational. He was basically, he instilled those core values in us. Mm -hmm. And one of his core values was do the right thing. Mm -hmm. It's not very difficult. Just do what's right for the client. And the other one was put people first. We are about people. We are in the people business. We think of banks, uh, it's all about money. It's actually about people and their aspirations and their dreams.
0: Well, around here, we call that goodness. And this is the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. So I probably need to explain, what do we actually mean by goodness? After several years of research, we identified a definition that works in all business contexts. And that is, goodness is when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. The Good Leadership Breakfast is a place where we invite speakers to share their insights about how goodness pays. Richard Davis really brought that concept to life. He mentions the lapel pin in this particular speech, and he was absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to try to stay out of the
2: way, so let's just get started. Make-A-Wish is about goodness, but it's in a very different way. The very first wish was 40 years ago um, this coming April. It was a four-year-old boy who, by the time he was seven had a form of leukemia that became fatal. The story is his mother, a single mother, uh, was living in an apartment complex, trying to make ends meet with her then four-year-old son. And the next-door neighbors were an older couple, probably my age now, and he was a state trooper for the Department of um, uh, Highway Patrol in Arizona. And they kind of took Linda and her son Chris under their wing as kind of the adopted daughter and grandson, they had no kids of their own. And so they became very close, and really created this symbiotic relationship. And then Chris contracted a form of leukemia, and it moved very quickly. And so this next-door neighbor said, I want to do something for him. What would you like to do more than anything in the world? And he said, I want to be a state trooper. And he said, that's great, because we can make that happen. And he took about a year to think through the best way to perfect that, what was now a wish. And in a matter of weeks, Chris took a very, very bad turn and started becoming very, very quickly ill. And so the um, patrolman got a hold of some of his buddies and said, let's do a ride along. And let's do it in a helicopter instead of a car. And let's ask for forgiveness and not permission. <laughs> and they did all of that. And they spe- a special state trooper, a little uniform with the hat and the badge and the play gun. And they took him up on a Thursday. And it was a remarkable day. And he passed on Sunday. That wasn't the first wish. That was just the first goodness. And then the story goes dormant for like months, four months. And in the Department of Public Service in the state of Arizona, fire and police are together. So by a sheer coincidence, the firefighters had this young family <clears throat> with a young boy named Bopsy Salazar. And Bopsy was eight. And Bopsy wanted, to be a fireman and go to Disneyland. And Bobsey had a different form of cancer. And so they thought about those guys over on the state trooper side and said, What'd you do for your kid? And they said, We did a ride along and blah, blah, blah. So they thought, We can do the same thing. So they took him to Disneyland and he rode the fire truck down Main Street. And that is the first official wish because it was done with the intent to replicate the first one. And then the story's dormant again. And then as it would be told, Linda, Chris's mother, wish mother number one, Frank, and all the guys who were part of either the fire or the police site got together in a poker game, very unauspicious. And by the way, she smokes like a, like a fiend, so it was probably a smoky-filled room with probably alcohol. <laughs> Six people playing poker, deciding, wait a minute, why don't we do this on purpose? We can do this over and over again. And so, ladies and gentlemen, in a very unauspicious start, Make-A-Wish was founded at a poker table. They took, she said, all the money in their pockets and out of her purse and found $37.66, which became the first bank account for Make-A-Wish. Which, by the way, I'm thinking the same thing. What a lousy poker game that must have been. But, on the other hand, the wishes were created by a least obvious group of people who didn't even start the game with the intent to end it, to make goodness happen.
0: Okay, so he did a very clear job of laying out how Make-A-Wish began. It's a really vivid story. You could tell he immediately he's a fantastic storyteller. So what was going through your mind when you saw this today? He is. I'm just thinking how he uses names.
1: He says, Bobsy, Linda, Frank. It makes it real for you. I could almost see those people uh, feel what they were going through, and that's just amazing.
0: Yeah, it's a real gift. And so what I thought, you know, I I always run these things through the leadership lens and through what we teach and coach at Good Leadership. And one of the most fundamental concepts is that nothing significant ever happens alone. In that very first wish, the sense of cooperation and the additive energy of layering this person and this person and this person, and then, then it's a helicopter, and then it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's the perfect example that nothing significant ever happens alone. So we're going to transition now to uh, what I thought was a really powerful conversation about
2: what does doing good really mean. So one of the things I ask you about is doing good, and I want to be a micro about it, not macro. On a, a Doing good, so first and fo- foremost, does it have to be intended or can it be accidental? Does it have to be choreographed or can it just happen? Does it need to be big or can it be little? Does it have to be grand or can it be something very, very simple? Should it be anonymous or is it better if it's attributed? And by the way, there are no right answers, but they're worth pondering because goodness happens along every which way, but the goodness isn't honestly the intent, it's the impact. And so Make-A-Wish is a great example. So as you think about whether or not you want to engage in something that changes lives, you need to first know whether or not you have the opportunity to in fact affect that. So one of my biggest challenges in Maya's is we have this 40-year-old organization that still people believe that we are the bucket list for a child, and that is not true, and that is horrible. You see, we are not the last wish for a dying child. It started that way, because I just told you. It lasted that way for 20 years. But the last 20 have been critically ill children are identified through medical uh, uh, experts to qualify for a wish. The wish is then considered, it's granted, and it changes lives. It changes outcomes better than medicine. And so you see, I start there because we just did a big study of the American people, which we had never done before, and 44% of the American people thought we were the last wish for a dying child. And when they think that, they think, good for you. You're such good people. I'm so glad you're in my life. I don't have no idea how I can help you, and that's kind of sad and morbid, but you go right ahead and do it. And then 56% of the people say, oh, I'm totally up to speed on this. I want to be part of changing this entire community's life because I see this kid, this innocence that's in some way been taken from them, and I want to give them that hope that inspires them to get through this journey. 71% of our children, 328,000 kids, have been granted a wish, 71% are adults. So you see, it's an entirely different mission. Now, goodness works either way, but I have determined that people are more motivated to do good if they believe there's impact on the other side. They actually don't start it with this, I want to be a good person. That's not a bad idea, but it's better because I want to make a difference. So think first about goodness itself at the micro level and the motivations of goodness. And be clear that one of the most important things is you want to be able to touch something and have impact. Those are the things that motivate you. You'll talk a lot about the goodness as it works through teams and as large groups of people get together. But there's nothing more pure than an individual who has some motive that changes their reason to take action that they weren't otherwise planning to. After all, some poker party did this already. So the other point of the question is, does it matter? So if, does goodness happen if no one's around to see it? <laughs> right, and so goodness is first and foremost in your heart. It could start in your head, but it ends in your heart. And one of the things that we want to do in life is to have meaningful, soulful beliefs in what happens in our lives. It's tactical, it's technical, we can write it down, we can experience it. But it's the soul, it's really the character that brings you out into your life who you are. You know this story, I, I suppose you have, but David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times, um, and I've read a number of his things, he has these wonderful story on the road to character. And in the road to character he talks about the two different kinds of resumes. There's the work resume and the eulogy resume and he asked people that before they actually get to their death, that they consider living the eulogy re- uh, resume now. So life's resume is, this is who I am, this is my address, this is how old I am, maybe this is the place I work, these are all the places I worked, these are my very favorite hobbies, these are my kids, and these are my talents. Check, 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 check. The resume eulogies are different, because how in the world can you define someone's life in a few moments only to people who want you to capture it in a way that they're dying for you to get it right. And a resume eulogy is, you talk about who they were. Not where they were, not what they did, who they were. What did they stand for? What mattered most to them? What is it that they gave of the one life we're aware we all have to change the world? Because the goodness comes from the impact, not from the intention. Okay, Chatty, I saw you writing down. So what were you doing? You know, this entire speech, there's
1: a new definition of goodness in my mind. Richard kept talking about goodness comes from impact, not intention. That's a new concept for me Mm -hmm. because we all think about, I intend to be good, I intend to do X, Y, Z. We never focus on the impact. Mm -hmm. It's all about what is it doing to others and for others it doesn't matter how big, how small. This is, this is new, uncharted territory for me.
0: I'm really glad you got that because we try to describe goodness and good leadership as when character plus competence, so character is my intention, competence is how well I'm at what I'm trying to do, creates impact. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's good. And you know what? I, I don't need to say anymore. I just want to get out of the way and let you guys keep listening. So here we go again. He brings back the idea of the lapel pin, I
2: think, in a way that's really colorful. It's kind of funny, but I brought back lapel pins. <laughs> they look just like US Bank. It says Make-A-Wish. <laughs> I was missing my lapel pin, and now my team has lapel pin. Maya, look at your lapel pin. It's glorious, right? <clears throat> That's not the point, right? So when we gave them out to our team, um, I had a few people come up uh, to my assistant and others and said, am I supposed to wear it every day? <laughs> By the way, you guys answer the question. She said, I think Saturdays and Sundays are optional, but I'm not sure. The reason for the lapel pin is I said to these amazing Make-A-Wish team members who have been around much longer than I have, wear it for a month, every day, and if you don't get loved on, repeatedly, take it off. But I'm absolutely positive that you will be surprised because your... Part of your eulogy resume is, I may have worked at Make-A-Wish, but I stood for changing the lives of people who needed me the most at a certain time. I asked them to wear it over their heart. I had this guy come in just day before yesterday and said, I just want you to know, I'm wearing a metal pen, I have a pacemaker, I can't have the magnet near my heart, but it's on the other side. (laughs) That's good. We're tracking, that's great. But the point is, people come back and said, this one gal said, okay, I go to Subway like every third day, I've been going through this for three years. The guy across from me says, oh my God, you're with Make-A-Wish? My brother was a wish kid. Or the stories go on, and they love on you. The reason I wanted to bring that back is because we each choose to do something in our life while we're alive. David Brooks would say, it's not what position you had, I would say it's not even your intent, it's the impact you made. And so I love the idea that goodness comes from whatever the motive is. But it comes in the end with the impact that's created from it. Well, of
0: course, I was just giggling like crazy because in your introduction there earlier today, you were talking about the lapel pin, and we have lapel pins for good leadership. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how people do stop and ask me all the time, what is that? And I explain, well, that's the goodness icon. And, you know, of course, everyone in Minneapolis-St. Paul recognizes the U.S. Bank lapel pin. So, you know, they have meaning and they create a conversation. And I think that was his point. Absolutely. Absolutely. So by now, everyone's interested in the wish process. So he explains a little bit more about how that works.
2: You can be a child that is born with a situation that is immediate upon birth, and we will find a way to make sure that you have something to look forward to and something to help you through that. That could be cystic fibrosis. That could be all kinds of things that you have. Then there's the diagnosis ones. That The six-and-a-half-year-old kid is fine one day, not feeling well the next, and has a horrible diagnosis the next week. And when that happens, the family immediately adjusts to the new reality. They understand the medicine, they figure out the right hospitals, they determine their caregivers. They probably bring in faith, whatever that means. They certainly bring in family. But we actually believe we're the last part of the recipe, we're the hope part. Because everyone has to believe that we're going to get through this and use some purpose to get to the other side and then reflect back on it. So I ask you this, what are the best wishes? An average wish, we'll do 16,000 wishes this year. The average wish can cost about $5,000 in cash and another four or five in in-kind where people will donate parts of the event. They can be as small as a, a simple animal, and they can be as big as going to the 2020 Olympics in uh, Tokyo. Now, when a four-year-old is uh, sought out to say, what is your wish? And they say, I want to go to Trinidad, Tobago. We're pretty sure it's not their wish. <clears throat> So there's a real skill that Maya's team has created. We have volunteers and very talented people who will do the wish discovery. And so once the kid is qualified, whatever age they are, we bring them in and we ask them, what is it you really want? You can wish for anything. You can be saddened by the fact that there are many kids who wish just to go to Target. There are kids who want the most simple things you can imagine. Then there are some who have very complicated wishes that are almost impossible, but we've never been denied. There are no major celebrities that have ever turned us down. And some of the best celebrities um, that I won't tell you have done dozens, if not hundreds, of wishes, and they don't want you to know about it. I think that's goodness, because they understand the impact of that child. and has nothing to do with them. But you see, the wishes can be complicated or simple. One of my favorite ones was this young boy in Los Angeles. I was asking the L.A. group, what's your favorite wish? They started on to a big one. I said, no, 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 I don't want the big ones. We have lots of big ones. But I said, tell me the simple one. And this young boy, seven years old, he's wheelchair bound for life. <clears throat> he lives in Los Angeles, and outside his window in his bedroom is a little grassy area where he sees bunnies are running around all the time, rabbits. To which I thought, I'm from LA, and I don't remember any grassy area outside of any window with bunnies, but okay. <laughs> and his wish was to have a bunny, so they brought him in, and they brought him into the wish house. There's wish rooms, wish houses, wish castles, all very special places. And they said they emerged two hours later with all the expertise they could possibly muster and said, okay, he wants a boy bunny. <laughs> How inspired! They went to find out that as they pulled the string that really the issue was he wants a bunny because he knows he'll never walk. But the bunnies run quickly and he wants to be like one one day. And okay, since I'm a boy, I'll give you that. But knock it off. That's what I want. <laughs> You see, one of the things that it has to be the real, true wish. It can't be the adult's view of what they think the kid wants. It can be a bunny. And so I said to them, well, what'd you do? They said, well, we got the best cage any bunny ever had. (laughs) We got the healthiest bunny we could find. I don't even know how long they live. We endowed the bunny's food for life. Yay! $476.50. Brilliant. People at Make-A-Wish are said to extraordinary people do extraordinary things. And in the category of goodness, I have corrected that because I'm the newest guy with a different lens, and I said, check that. Ordinary people do extraordinary things. Stories like um, about a month ago on an airplane flying from Atlanta to Orlando, one of our board members was on the plane, and Orlando is of course a big destination for the Disney. And I hope you've been in places where the, at the gate agents will say, we have Richard and his family, they're going to Orlando, they Wish family, and people cheer, you get on the plane, the pilots make a big deal of it. But in this case, they made that announcement. The family of four, Richard, his sister, and mother and father came on. And I love this story, because it happens again and again. And as soon as they walked into the plane, four people in first class who didn't know each other, motivated together, got out of their seats, and went to the back of the plane. So people are always finding extraordinary ways and moments they didn't expect. It wasn't choreographed, it wasn't planned, it just was. How about in New Hampshire, the whole state of New Hampshire, which I'd never been to until Make-A-Wish, I didn't even know where it was. Um, (laughs) Honestly, I couldn't have found it on a map. The whole state of New Hampshire, all the police chiefs of every city in New Hampshire have convened to agree that every child that ever goes on a wish event to the airport, we'll get a full police caravan. Always. And so I walked over to the police chief who coordinated all this at their breakfast once, and I walked over, I immediately gave him a hug, which police officers don't like. Um, (laughs) And he said um, how much he loves this role, and he said, the thanks is all mine, because I have people on my force now, and all the police Personnel in the state of New Hampshire love working and living here in part because the state believes that much in the kids. And so this transforms itself because you realize the wish is different. It's not necessarily what you think it is. So, Paul, this is, again, a reiteration of
1: it is not about intent. It's about impact. Actually, I was one of those people whenever I heard Make-A-Wish, I thought dying kids. I didn't want to really get involved in that. I mean, good for them. But at the same time, it's very morbid. And today, I'm changing my mind. This is not about me and about my intent, whether I want to get involved in this. This is about impact. Does it really matter what happens afterwards? Or does it matter for that specific person, that specific kids? It does not really matter what my intentions, what my feelings are at at that time. It matters for that one person.
0: Uh, one of the reasons why I'm so aligned with this concept and and how he explains it is because we call our firm good leadership for a reason. And sometimes people can be this smart aleck, well, why didn't you name your company Great Leadership? And I'm saying, well, because greatness in in and of itself is a fascination and it turns people into doing goofy things, I think. I would rather help good leaders work together with good intention to make great things happen. And that's exactly what Richard Davis was saying about how Make a Wish got started, how these wishes get granted, and all the different people's lives who are touched when good people are working together with good intentions, making great stuff happen.
1: And the other thing, when he mentions it's about ordinary people doing extraordinary things, mm-hmm. you know, this is the same thing about goodness. People always want to be great or excellent, those like words, big words. It's okay to be good. Mm-hmm. Good is really something very powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, in keeping with that line, he's got a very strange partnership here that I just made me absolutely giggle. Let's listen to it.
2: One of our best partners is WWE, um, which I've never predicted. And they do seven or 800 granted wishes a year. Kids love these superstars. And so we had a very rare moment where at our national office in Phoenix, we actually had one of the kids come up in a limousine. We brought him in. He was going to go that night, Monday night, to the Wrestlemania in the Phoenix Convention Center to meet Ronda Rousey. Is that a name some of you know? Um, And the day, that morning, he came to our offices because I wanted the whole staff to get close to a wish and we were banners and screaming from the rafters and all that and we had um, Sasha Banks and Seth, um, Seth, Seth, doesn't matter. Uh, Say what? Rollins. Rollins, well done, thank you, Seth Rollins. (laughs) That's a WWE guy. Um, so they both were in. They were both in uh, the lobby, and they were sitting at the reception desk, looking like they worked there, and had their back to the door. So the boy comes in. We're all screaming and yelling. And they said, "You have to go check in." He walks in. He sees them. They both turn around, and he does. He's ten years old. He does in a perfect WWE manner. He falls straight onto the floor. <laughs> so he gets back up, and we walk him into a side room, an anteroom room. We have a, because we're a cool company now. I'm, Sorry guys, we weren't that cool at US Bank. A big game room with foosball and all that stuff, right? And so we walk him in there and um, Saja and Seth are standing about talking to the 10 year old boy. Two things about that story as I close. And in that room was a 21 year old man who um, seven years before at 14 was also a Wrestlemania fanatic and his wish was to meet some of the superstars. And seven years ago was when Wrestlemania was last in Phoenix. And this 21-year-old man, healthy as a horse, had exactly the same situation, physical malady, that this 10-year-old boy was living with right now. There to expose him to the idea that this will work and this is gonna happen. So as I close, I brought up Sasha, who is a very um, strong woman. And I walked over and I positioned myself in front of her. I said, I want you to know how much this means to us. And you doing this is very, very special. And so I even squared up with her, and I said, look me in the eyes. They said, you're changing lives. Now, I thought I'd nailed it. She repositions us. She's twice as big as me, three times stronger. She grabs me by the shoulder She says, look into my eyes. Okay, don't hurt me. She said, I have done 28 wishes. She said, but the first one, I went to bed on the night that I granted the first wish. And she says, and I realize that I was somebody's wish. My whole life, I do what I do, and somebody else wants to meet me as their wish. And the pleasure is all mine. And so you see, from her perspective, I was thanking her and she wanted me not to do that because it was not an intention that she did it for, it's because of the impact. And so you see what's real special about goodness is we have kids that are managing through things you and I will never want to. We have parents and families who will never deserve to go through this. But if we can introduce a community of people around them, whether they know them or not, that care about them and love them, support them and believe in the future for them, because we will have the faith that this will work out, there's quite nothing like it. And the very most impressive thing about Make-A-Wish in the last couple of years is up until now, the kids' choices have always been, I want to see something, I want to have something, I want to meet someone, or I want to be someone. And just recently, this new set of kids instead want a fifth category, I want to give something. And so when the wish maker on your table, and don't go to it now, I will ask you to take a look. Our centerpiece today in this, um, this series is to talk about the kids who want to give back to those who are facing the same circumstances because they believe their future is already back in hand and they want to guarantee it for somebody else. So I'll close with the first questions. If you have a wish and doing good are related, does it need to be choreographed or is it okay that it's accidental? Does it need to be big or can it be simple? As you think about it, does it need to be attributed by name or anonymous? And the answer is, it doesn't matter, because it's not about us. It's about the impact that goodness creates. So do you have anything else to add to that? Not really. That was a great close. Let's not spoil it. Yeah.
0: So let's just jump ahead. I also do an interview with each speaker. We have a table discussion, and then I interview each speaker with four or five questions. And I always use exactly the same question to end. And so we're just going to cut right there. We always ask this same question to every speaker. Um, what data point or proof point for you that you know for sure that goodness pays?
2: I've got it. I'm glad I have it. Um, U.S. Bank worked with Catholic Charities at the drop-in center many, many, many years ago, and we started in December, if some of you remember, and we started serving food on Friday mornings, the senior leadership team. and The drop-in center, which is downtown, um, has two cycles of breakfast every morning. There's a 7 o'clock cycle and 8.30 cycle. This was December, it was cold, it was dark, it was profoundly important. And we were in the back, you know, schlepping all the cereal and all that stuff. And the folks would come and then they would leave and we figured out that they don't ever get a warm breakfast. And so US Bank, I don't know if we still do or not, but we introduced French toast Fridays. And so every Friday was a warm meal and we started serving some of those as well. One of these particular Fridays I was serving and one of the things you have to clean up, (laughs) dreadful <laughs> clean up. So I'm out there cleaning tables and this woman, they're supposed to change shifts because we're out of time and she's the last one in the room. We need her to move out so we can get the next group in. She's rustling through her purse like crazy. She cannot find something. She's desperate. And I said, how can I help you? And She goes, I have a $20 bill. I can't find it. I have a $20 bill. She's rustling through even more profoundly than you, So When you're looking for something <laughs> at the bottom of the purse. Um, and I said, oh, look. And I had a $20 bill. I said, oh, there it is. I just set it on the table. Not to be Uh, Sneaky. She goes, you put it there. I said, doesn't matter. It's your $20 bill. Take it. She looks at me and she goes, okay. She takes it and she's gone. The story is so over. So, goodness shows up in my house one particular weeknight. It's probably 5.30. i probably come rushing in from the office just before everybody shows up. Not to thank my wife enough for all that she does already done to these things. We get there, and the, uh, it might have been D'Amico, where your daughter works. Uh, catering must have come up and said, uh, we've had them there before. Mr. Davis, You want something to drink. I said, I'll just have a glass of water, but thanks for being here and all that. And she comes back, glass of water on a tray, $20 bill under the water glass. And I said, what's the $20 bill for? She goes, it's giving it back to you because you gave it to me when I needed it the most, and I want you to have it back. And I realized I had to take it. The job wasn't to keep the 20 in her hand, it was to take the closure of this wonderful routine. And the back story is when she was talking to me that early morning with her purse, she had lost her both of her kids, stepped her out of her life, schizophrenia. She wanted to be a chef her whole life, and that was a failed effort, and her life was kind of falling apart. Probably a year later, I think it was a year later, Therese, I said, how are you? She goes, well, I'm not catering, I'm, I'm not cooking, but I'm catering, because she was D'Amico's. And I said, and the kids, she goes, my son's back in my life, and I took the $20 bill. The goodness was, not intended to be full circle, mm-hmm. but every once in a while you get to see it. But what's important, I think, Paul, is that if the goodness is the impact, in, intended for impact, not for you, you have to believe it's okay if you never see the other side. In fact, you probably never will, mm-hmm. but you've got to believe it to be even more powerful maybe than you can imagine it. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while you get lucky and you see it come around. So I know there's a lot of goodness, and I came from a place where that's standard offering.
0: Thank you so yep. much for being a part of this. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't tell you how satisfying it was to have Richard Davis at the 80th Good Leadership Breakfast. I imagine this moment two years ago, he did not disappoint. I feel like I'm a better person just by hosting this meeting. So one of the specific features of this podcast is something we call actionable insights or the carpe diem moments, where you learn something from the speaker that you are actually going to do differently because of that. So, So what is that for you, Chatty?
1: Yeah, I'm so happy I was there today. Actually the focus was about goodness and generosity. That was at the end of the speech. So a big takeaway for me specifically, it's not about the intent Mm -hmm. or what what I plan to do. It's about the others. It's about the impact that my actions do to others. And that's a huge takeaway.
0: Yeah, mine's very similar. So we teach character building, techniques. We teach leadership competence. But the goal for both of those things is to create impact. And I'm going to start thinking a little bit more specifically about how I can help future breakfast speakers drive towards a point where they're really demonstrating an impact because of their character and their competence as a leader. I, I do think that has a lot to do with where we're headed with the program for the Good Leadership Breakfast. And I'm just grateful that it came back to me today in a way that I didn't even imagine.
1: Paul, thank you for inviting me. I feel blessed to be part of this podcast, part of this journey with you, part of goodness in general. So I am extremely blessed and happy to be here today.
0: Uh, you're absolutely welcome. And happy birthday to your wife, by the way. I know she's got an important birthday today. So uh, what's the final phrase that we always want everyone to remember when they spend with us at the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast? Well, of course it is goodness pays. Yes, and from Richard Davis.
2: Goodness pays.
0: And from me, it's goodness pays. So thank you for investing the time, whether you're exercising or driving or on an airplane, whatever. We appreciate the fact that you're spending time with us, considering how your character and the competence of your leadership actually makes an impact. We call that goodness, and we believe that pays. We hope to talk to you soon.